Welcome to Health Essentials, a Cleveland Clinic podcast. There's so much health advice floating around, online, among friends, but who can you really trust? Trust the experts. Listen to the world's brightest medical minds, our very own Cleveland Clinic experts. We ask them real questions, tough and intimate health questions, and we get real answers, all originally recorded live. Hi, thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Nada Youssef, and today we have Dr. Mark Hyman, Director of Functional Medicine here in Cleveland Clinic, and we are doing an hour special today uh, regarding health misconceptions, right? Yes. Okay. All right. Great. Well, as always, before we start, please remember that this is for informational purposes only and not intended to replace your own physician's advice. Well, first of all, thank you so much for coming in today. You're welcome. Glad to to be here. (laughs) Do you want to introduce yourself to our viewers? Yes. Hi, everybody. I'm Dr. Mark Hyman. I'm the director of the Cleveland Clinic Center for Functional Medicine, and uh, we're really excited to be here and answer your questions about health misconceptions, myths, and all the things you are confused about because everybody's super confused, including most doctors, (laughs) especially when it comes to nutrition. Well, let's start, first of all, functional medicine. What is that? What is functional medicine? Well, I joke and I say it's the opposite of dysfunctional medicine, which is, you know, (laughs) the idea that we actually can get to the root cause of disease, right? Mm -hmm. Functional medicine is about getting to the root cause, about understanding why people get sick, not just what disease they have. It's treating the system, the whole system, not just the symptoms of disease, and it allows us to help people create health. So most of us went to medical school learn about disease. We, in fact, all of us, we learn about how do we diagnose and treat diseases. Functional medicine is flips it on its head and says, what is health and how do we create health? And the amazing thing is when we actually take away the things that impair health and we put in the things that help you create health, disease goes away often as a side effect. You know, I, I had a patient this morning, for example, she'd had migraines for a decade or more uh, driving her crazy 15, 20 times a month, really severe. She was on all sorts of medications to try to prevent her migraines and she was taking the drugs all the time. And it was just, it was a miserable existence and she couldn't plan her life. And I changed her diet. I gave her a few things like magnesium and things to help relax her nervous system uh, and treat the cause of her problems. And in fact, her, I think eggs were a big factor of triggering it. She came back and her headaches were pretty much gone. She got maybe a couple of months and didn't really need much medication, maybe an Advil here and there. That's what we do. It's not treating the symptoms. It's getting to, like, why do you have a migraine in the first place? Right, right. Okay, well, what are the most common symptoms that you see for functional medicine? Well, we see all sorts of people with chronic disease. So basically, I joke and I say, you know, we're kind of resort doctors. We're the doctors of last resort. You know, we take care of people who struggled, who have symptoms that don't get better, whether it's, you know, cardiovascular disease, diabetes, autoimmune issues, gut issues, mood issues, neurodegenerative diseases, things like Parkinson's. You know, I saw a guy with Parkinson's, for example, yesterday, and he had uh, suffered for a long time, came to see me, and he's now 10 years out, and he's better than he's ever been. His Mm -hmm. neurologist said he's never seen anybody 10 years out do this well. His symptoms are dramatically reduced. He hasn't really progressed, and, you know, we just dealt with all the root causes of his problem. Well, this is health misconceptions, and there are a lot of those that I've been reading and watching um, about, and I have put together some kind of grocery store questions, so I'm going to play a little game with you. I'm walking down the grocery store aisle, and I have my little two children with me, and I want to give you two options, and you tell me this or that and why. Okay. Okay. So there's a few of them. So if you want to just, you know, go fast, but you know, you can answer everything here. So first of all, sugar versus sweetener. Artificial sweeteners. Yes. Is there a third choice, like none? Mm. <laughs> is, there, is there a third choice? Well, yes. I would say you can buy the sugar, mm-hmm. but don't buy anything with added sugar. Okay. Right? Okay. So 80% of things in grocery stores have sugar added to them. You know your Prego tomato sauce has more sugar than two Oreo cookies? That your morning yogurt wow. has more sugar often than a can of soda? Wow. <laughs> right? Yeah. So it's not the sugar you add like a teaspoon of sugar yeah. to your diet, it's the 34 or 22 teaspoons average eaten by an American, 34 by kids every single day. Wow. You know, you have a can of soda, 20 ounce soda, you're getting 15 teaspoons of sugar. Wow. And you wouldn't add 15 teaspoons to your coffee, no, would you? No, But we invisibly eat that. So no added sugar, add sugar to your diet. Okay. Sweeteners, artificial sweeteners, oh, we thought, okay, great, no calories. 
But we realize that you know, food is not just calories, it's actually information. It's like a code, like programming your biology every bite. And when you eat different kinds of foods, they have different effects. And artificial sweeteners have no calories, but they're a thousand times sweeter than regular sugar. And what they do is they stimulate your taste buds, it goes to your brain, affects your hormones and your metabolism, and actually also affects your gut flora, which changes the bacteria in there to make it more likely to get diabetes. And it changes your hormones to make it more likely that you're gonna be hungry and you're gonna eat more over the day. So, you know, you ever wonder why all these people who are really overweight are drinking diet soda and they're not skinny? It's because it doesn't work. In fact, some of the studies, your observational studies, what they show that people who drink more sodas have more obesity, have more diabetes. Wow, that's yeah. very interesting. And the thing is, when people <laughs> drink soda, uh -huh. I mean, like our president, he drinks 12 diet sodas a day. Mm -hmm. He's not skinny, mm -hmm. right? So, <laughs> so we, we have to say, you know, what's going on here? And the people who drink sodas, diet sodas, tend to drink a lot more because they think it's they think free. It's safer, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, coconut oil or olive oil? Great question. Uh, I would say both. Okay. <laughs> yeah, there's both. So okay. olive oil, we know from the studies, is just phenomenal, right? Mm -hmm. So we, we think that you know fat was bad. We were told by our government to cut out the fat and increase carbs. We were told to have six to 11 servings of bread, rice, cereal, and pasta a day. And guess what? Since those recommendations, we've become the fattest country in the world. 70% of us are overweight. We have um, seen a three to 400% increase in the risk of diabetes, type of diabetes. So those guidelines didn't help. It's the starchy carbs, flour, and sugar that really are driving the problem. It's not the fat. And it was a big study, and it's hard to do nutrition studies because you know it's hard to get a lot of people to eat a certain way unless you lock them up in a room, right? right, right. So they did a study in, in Europe where they looked at um, giving people olive oil a liter a week, like a whole liter of olive oil, they had to eat the whole thing. A week. A week, wow. and or a bunch of nuts, like a big handful of nuts every sure. day. And they compared it to a low-fat diet, and the ones who had the olive oil had less heart attacks, less diabetes, less obesity. So eating all that fat was super healthy for them. Wow. And the olive oil has polyphenols, which are powerful antioxidants that literally help your body fight inflammation, and are powerful antioxidants have been linked to long-term health. So olive oil is like a staple in my house. I go through a big bottle rarely yeah. and I pour it on everything. I don't worry about how much because fat doesn't make you fat, by the way. If okay. you eat it with starch and carbs, it does, like sweet fat. Mm -hmm. But if you eat fat on a salad, no problem. Okay. And the coconut oil, I think, is very controversial. Mm -hmm. I think, uh, you know, I did a Facebook Live a while ago. I had a million views and I was because the American Heart Association released uh, a report that said coconut oil is bad for your heart. And the reason they said that was there's not a single study, by the way, that proves that it causes heart attacks. It's mm -hmm. just guilt by association. It has saturated fat. Saturated fat is considered bad. Mm -hmm. It causes higher cholesterol. Right. Cholesterol has been linked to heart disease. And so we're really focused on lowering cholesterol, so anything that raises it, we think is bad. Right. The truth is, it's the quality of cholesterol that matters, and coconut oil actually increases the good cholesterol, HDL. It increases the LDL, but it makes the particles better, so they're not as damaging sure. type of cholesterol. Sure. And uh, and it actually improves the ratio of total to HDL cholesterol, which, by the way, is more linked to your risk of heart attacks than mm. LDL cholesterol. I see. Okay. So we really have to look at the root cause, and and it's not necessarily the fat. And yes, some people are are at risk of having uh, issues with saturated fat, but it's a smaller population than we thought. And our recommendations from the American Heart Association the guidelines from the government are eat less saturated fat. So why is Dr. Heinen saying don't worry about it as much? Because when you look at the 17 meta-analyses, large reviews of all the data, they could find no link between heart disease and saturated fat or total fat. There was a study, for example, of 600,000 people, 19 countries, 72 studies, and they couldn't find any link between heart disease and saturated fat or total fat. They did find a link between trans fat, which is like margarine right. shortening, and they found a link between, between um, omega-3 fats and a benefit, which is fish oil, but okay. not with saturated fat. And you know, the recent dietary guidelines uh, process was reviewed because Congress said to the National Academy of Sciences, we're gonna fund a million dollars for you to review the process by which we get our guidelines. And they found that, oops, the guidelines aren't completely scientific. Okay. That they're based a lot on industry influence. Why are we told to eat three glasses of milk a day or drink three glasses of milk a day? There's no evidence, sure. it's the Dairy Council and their influence on the guidelines committee. We looked at, for example, saturated fat. They found that they ignored huge amounts of the data on saturated fat, and it didn't reflect 
what the science shows in the sure. guidelines. So sure. they're changing that whole process now. So next guidelines, we should see this. Okay, great. Now, speaking of cholesterol, should people, should people be concerned with dietary cholesterol? No, you know, we always were taught eggs are bad, it got cholesterol, don't eat shrimp, it's got cholesterol. Mm -hmm. And you know, the Dietary Guidelines Committee uh, said in the last guidelines, and the new guidelines said that cholesterol is quote, no longer a nutritive concern. Like that's mm -hmm. a very kind of funny death for this whole idea. In mm -hmm. 35 years, we've been told wow. to cut out dietary cholesterol that it causes heart disease. Well, there's no evidence that that's true. Mm -hmm. So when they, they finally had to admit it, and they actually looked at the evidence, there was like no evidence that dietary cholesterol is an issue. So go eat your whole eggs, okay. go eat your shrimp, don't worry about it. Okay. And dietary fat, they said as a total fat number, there's no upper limit or right. lower limit. Right. So they were like, don't worry about it, but they said cut sugars, cut out sugars, and, and so that's really good. Okay, great. All right, on to the next one. Uh, skim milk, whole milk, soy milk? Okay, well, I would say, um, it's Almond a multi-part question, <laughs> yes. right? So we'll start with the milk and the whole milk. Okay. So first of all, there's no evidence that milk is necessary for anybody after weaning. It doesn't grow strong bones. We know it may increase fractures based on the data. Mm -hmm. We know it causes all sorts of issues from allergies to eczema, to type 1 diabetes, and autoimmune diseases. Uh, it causes gut issues. 75% of the world's lactose intolerant. It's not, quote, nature's perfect food unless you're a calf. Then it is, right? Okay. <laughs> okay sure. So that's sort of my overview, and I, you know, I, I think you know the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, basically prohibited the Got Milk ads because they said there's no proof. I see. And they questioned the science behind all these claims that the Dairy Council was making on, you know, on behalf of milk, and they found that no, it's not meeting those criteria. I wrote, a, I wrote a, a little blog called Got Proof, which I go through the science and the research about it. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, when you look at whole milk versus skim milk, uh, you know, based on these, these sort of research, whole milk actually may be better. Mm. Why? Because, um, you know, we, in kids, for example, they feed them low-fat milk or non-fat milk or skim milk. They find it increases obesity. So that doesn't make sense. Why? When you take the fat out, fat makes you feel full. Right. right? So when you take the fat out, you're hungrier, and the kids who have skim milk tend to eat more. Okay. And so it's not necessarily a weight loss strategy or a heart disease protection strategy. We know that, for example, again, the saturated fat in milk is not the issue. In fact, in this big study I told you about, they yeah. saw a trend where milk fats actually reduce the risk of heart disease, which is yeah. kind of amazing, like butter. In yeah. fact, there was a review of butter by Dr. Darius Mazzaferi and a group from Tufts, a big study look at uh, or again, 600,000 people, it was like, they call it, uh, it was like six and a half million patient years, which means how many years are people actually consuming the butter? That's a lot of years. Yeah. Um, and they found that there was no link between butter and heart disease. Not any kind of butter, is there? Any kind, any of, kind butter, of butter, any kind of butter, yeah. no link. Um, this is just in the scientific literature, and there was no link, and there was also uh, an inverse correlation with diabetes, type two diabetes. Hmm. So people had more dairy fat in their blood or in their diet, yeah. you have less diabetes. It's a correlation, wow. a little cause and effect, but if there was a correlation, we'd see you it. should see it. Right? Yeah, so for example, smoking. Right. Smoking was one of the things that we found definitely was correlated right. with lung cancer. Sure. But it, it was a population study, which doesn't prove cause and effect, but the effect size was 10 to 20 times the risk. Wow. When you're talking about 10%, 20% risk, you can't really judge that. And right. if there was an effect, you should see it. Okay, right? great, yeah. All right. And then soy milk. Oh, yes, soy milk, we can't forget. So soy milk, <laughs> I'm not a big fan of. Okay. I think, um, you know, people tend to consume a lot of it because I think it's a health food, but it actually, it can lead to hormonal effects. Mm -hmm. You know, I see little girls who drink like glasses and glasses of milk and they get premature, um, premature uh, puberty. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I would think, you know, almond milk, coconut milk, you know, those kinds of things are fine. Okay, and do you have you a nut allergy? Is there any besides almond milk? A coconut population are allergic if they have nut issues. Okay. Um, there's, yeah, there's other kinds of milks. There's rice milk. Uh, mm -hmm. The thing is you have to be careful of is you don't want sugar. Yeah. And a lot of these have sugar in them as a sweetener. So I'd sure. be really careful about that. Okay, great. And then, um, let's see, we have organic eggs versus cage-free eggs. What, what is okay. the difference, anyways? So, I, <laughs> I wrote a new book, it's called Food, What the Heck Should I Eat? Because people are super <laughs> confused and I answer a lot of these questions. Oh, but actually, I don't know if you came up with these from my book, but they're all... No, no, this is just my... And, and I kind of go through this because, you know, there's so many labels. You know, there's hormone-free eggs. Well, eggs, chickens don't get hormones. 
right? Right. The antibiotic free is great. You know, cage free, what does that mean? Yeah. Like they might be locked in a room. Right. Uh, free range doesn't mean anything because they might just open the door and they can walk out, but they're in a. Coming back out. <laughs> yeah. So what you want is pasture raised eggs. Those are the best because okay. the chickens are out there hunting for grubs and larvae and they're looking in the cow poop for stuff and they're out there and they, and if you look at those eggs there the the shells are super hard like right you, you can't break them easily yeah. whereas a regular factory farm egg you just crush it with your fingers uh, and the shells break easy okay. and the yolk is really dark and yellow orangey looking whereas the pale yellow yolks from like factory farm eggs don't have the same level of lutein and the oxidants those are like the same colors you see in salmon or carrots or sweet potatoes and they're powerful antioxidants they have much higher levels of nutrients omega-3 fats when they eat all that stuff so yeah definitely pasture raised and there's all these labels that are sort of misleading and my kind of joke is basically if it has a health claim on the label it's probably bad for you <laughs> if it says gluten-free fat-free fiber Green high fiber you know all these are ways that the food industry uses to mask the actual food yeah, and yeah. make it a health food. Well, right. let me tell you, gluten-free cookies are still cookies. Right. <laughs> that's very true. And often they might be worse for you because they have higher levels of sugar, higher flour that's more refined and, right. and problematic. Okay, great. Okay, how about whole wheat bread versus multigrain? Well, whole wheat, multigrain, white bread, it's okay. six and one half dozen of the other. I mean, when we look at okay. the data on flour, because, you know, listen, if it's whole kernel bread, right? Like in Germany, I visit a friend in Germany and they have a meat slicer mm -hmm. in their kitchen. I'm like, why do you have that? Well, we have to use that to cut the bread because the wow. bread is so hard. You can't cut it with a knife because it's made from whole grains. Not because it's stale, right, but right. it's actually so what dense. It's, made of. it's so dense and it has the whole grains, which are powerful compounds that uh, are full of antioxidants, fiber. And it's, if you grind something into flour, it's worse than sugar, even whole wheat bread raises your blood sugar more than table sugar. Really? In fact, yeah, when you look at the glycemic index of bread, mm -hmm. it's higher than table sugar. Wow. So when you have, you know, you might as well have two tablespoons of sugar with your with your sandwich right. instead of the sandwich and the bread, right? And you're gonna be better off. So wow. the key really is to uh, understand that flour products are a treat. They're a condiment. They're not something you wanna be eating every day or all the time. Sugar is a recreational drug. It's okay to eat, but not in the volumes we're eating. We're eating about 152 pounds of sugar per person. That's a lot. It's almost half a pound a day. Wow. And about 133 pounds of flour per person. That's like three quarters of a pound of flour and sugar for every man, woman, and child in America. And I'm not eating that much, so some of you must be eating a lot more out there. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that the the key is to understand that these these are treats. They're not things yeah. we have every day. I mean, I I just see how much flour and bread products we eat. And it's not to mention that the wheat has gluten, which can be inflammatory, a lot more people are having reactions, not to mention that our wheat products in this country are dwarf wheat, which has higher levels of sugar and starch, not to mention that we spray all of our wheat fields with glyphosate, which is an herbicide that also does Roundup, and it defoliates the wheat so it's easier to harvest the wheat kernels, but that glyphosate is sprayed just before harvest, and we get massive amounts of it, and it's been linked to cancer, uh, the World Health Organization and National Scientists have linked it as a carcinogen. It can affect gut flora, and we're just we're sort of like basically living the largest uncontrolled experiment in human history by how much exposure. There's about three pounds of pesticides and things used for every uh, man, woman, child in America every year. Wow, this is very good information. Terrifying, but very, very good. Well, the good news is you you empower with it, so you don't you don't have to eat that. Right. right? right. If you want to have, for example, whole kernel rye bread, that's my favorite. Okay. And that uh, has rye, which has got lignans, yeah. antioxidants, not sprayed and processed the same sure. way. You know, so it's really, really powerful. Great, great. And then, um, how about for some healthy breakfasts? Um, what would you say to oatmeal? I would say that oatmeal is not a health food. What about the ones that you <laughs> and eat I think, you know, overnight? <laughs> yeah. So there's no. uh, hold on a second. Um, steel cut oats. Yes. Uh, but you know. Uh, colleague at Harvard did an amazing study mm -hmm. um, where he took three groups of kids who were awake. He gave them three different breakfasts. Okay. Oatmeal, seal cut oats, and an omelet. And he locked them in a room with some video games. And he said, okay, when you're hungry, push the button. Mm -hmm. The kids who ate the oatmeal ate 81% more food during the day. And the kids who ate the seal cut oats ate 51% more food. 
What was even more fascinating is they had a catheter in their vein and they suck out blood every while. Mm. And they found that the kids who had the oatmeal had higher levels of cortisol and adrenaline. That's like a stress hormone. Wow. They had higher levels of insulin, blood sugar. Their whole biology was different, even though it was exactly the same calories. So same calories of oatmeal, same calories of omelet, very different effects. And this is really the whole perspective of functional medicine. And food isn't just calories or energy, it's information, it's instruction. So it's changing your hormones, your brain chemistry, your gut flora, your immune system. Everything is changing with every bite of food. It doesn't happen like over decades yeah. or weeks or months. It happens literally in real time. And that's why we see patients at the Center for Functional Medicine, you know, where we, for example, have a diabetes program mm -hmm. where we do something called Functioning for Life, which is an amazing group program where people come together, we change their diet, we have them work together. We know people do so much better when they work together to change their health and their lifestyle. And we see people get off insulin, getting off their medications, reversing their diabetes. It's so powerful. So, what did you have for breakfast today? Me? Yes. Um, well, uh, I woke up late. Okay. And I always have an emergency food pack. Okay, I always good. have like an emergency food pack in my bag wherever I travel because I travel a lot and so I'm, I never without food on me. Sure. Right? My, my pockets might be empty now, <laughs> but I just have lunch, so it's okay. fine. But I had a Kind bar, okay. which is uh, less than five grams of sugar. Mm -hmm. It's very high in nuts and fiber and protein and fat. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and it's a really powerful breakfast snack. And you know, I, I think I then I had another bar which had egg whites and, um, and I had like it has. Uh, nuts and seeds. Yeah. So okay. I tend to eat protein and fat for breakfast. Okay, protein and fat. Protein and fat, eggs, avocados. I take a protein shake, which maybe has some nuts and fat. I put coconut in it. And I think we have really the ability to plan ahead. Most of us don't plan, right? Most mm -hmm. of us don't think about where we're going to get our next meal. And we just sort of, I call it drive by eating. Like we just drive by someplace, we drive in, like, yeah, I'm hungry. Right? It's a food emergency. So you don't want to be in a food emergency. I've written a lot about this, but I always have a food emergency pack with me. So if I was diabetic, I wouldn't go out without my insulin. Yeah. If I was had a peanut allergy, I wouldn't go out with my EpiPen, right? Yeah. Save my life. Right. So I, go, I don't go anywhere without actually my food emergency pack. And, and it's powerful. And right. when you think about how little we plan for food, it doesn't take long. You know, I order stuff online, I have to deliver to the house, I'm, I'm lazy, I don't want to go to the grocery store. It's a discounted thing I get. And we can we can do that. I think right. we just don't think about it. And right. I, so I, I always encourage people not to be in a food emergency. Okay, perfect. Um, how about orange juice? Especially what about cereal? You didn't ask me the cereal question. Oh yeah, there's not cereal. Right, that was coming. Well, I have, <laughs> con I have a confession to make. Okay. I'm a cereal killer. You are? Yes. Okay. I, I don't think people should eat cereal. Okay. <laughs> <I think. laughs> Is it the sugar factor? It, yeah, I mean okay. 75%... Uh, sorry, our breakfast cereals are 75% Sugar. Wow. 75%, 75 sugar. Yes. Even not, the all, healthy not, ones? All, not all of them. Okay. But even the healthy ones can be very high in sugar. Okay. You know, there's whole wheat cookie crisp cereal, which yeah. has fiber and whole grains in it, but it's actually 22 grams of sugar, which is like six teaspoons. Yeah. Right? Okay. So, so we have to be smart about it. And we should not be eating starch and carbs for breakfast. I mean, cereal, you know, it was a new thing. Kellogg invented it, you know, 100 plus years ago. And I think it's really a challenge because people love cereal, they eat cereal with milk, yeah. and it's sort of the breakfast of champions, yeah. but in fact, it actually is the breakfast of people who are overweight. And I think if you are really serious about getting your health straightened out, you want to skip the cereal for breakfast. There are some out there, right? Okay, there's some called paleo granola, for example, mm. which is essentially nuts and seeds, and so that's fine. Yeah, yeah. But you don't want to be eating stuff that's tons of starch and flour and sugar. Okay. And that's not the best thing to eat first thing in the morning. No. Right? No. Okay. All right. So we got the cereal. <laughs> um, orange juice. Yeah. 100% real oranges. Yeah. Well. How's that? I know there's definitely sugar. Orange juice is an issue, right? So we have, um, you know, been told that orange is a healthy breakfast. You should have it with your oatmeal and that eggs are bad and that we should be not eating that. Well, it's the opposite, right? Think about how many oranges go into orange juice you know, four or five oranges, you're not gonna eat four or five oranges. And when you take the fruit out uh, and just put the sugar in, it's just like having a soda. There's a little more vitamins, a little more fiber maybe, but essentially it's like having a soda for breakfast. Wow. So I'm, I'm not a big fan of that. Okay, so no orange juice. And the problem is it's not like the four ounces we used to get. We I mean, have big jugs. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I was in Europe and you know, the soda there is like a six ounce bottle of Coke. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not a big fan of Coke, but, you know, 
that's a reasonable amount. Not yeah, like moderation. not like three or four times that, yeah. right? And then, I mean, the average American eats drinks forty four gallons of soda a year. That's almost a gallon a week. Wow. Like I don't do that, so some of the people are having even more, right? Yeah, right. And that is driving so much of our problems. Okay. Well, um, I want to talk about protein. No more um, talk about this. Oh yeah, we're getting there. This is this is this is next. I, I can cheat. I can oh, see this all is that. definitely yeah. It's fine. We'll we'll do this together. Um, so meat, no meat, beans, what is, eggs? What is the yeah. best source of okay. protein? And right. no meat is a big one too. So protein's controversial, right? Yes, so when you right. talk like paleo vegan, it's like meat's gonna kill you. Yeah. Uh, or if you eat all these grains and beans, they're gonna kill you. So who's right? Right. Right. Mm -hmm. My joke, I say I'm a vegan. Okay. Which what is, is like a cross between a vegan and a paleo person. <laughs> okay. And it's a joke because you know, one time I was sitting on a panel uh, and I was talking about nutrition with a friend of mine who was a paleo doc, another friend who was a cardiologist who was a vegan. They were fighting and I'm like, you guys, stop it. If you're paleo and you're vegan, I must be a vegan. And I made a joke about it and I realized, well, maybe it's not such a bad idea, which is, you know, you want to downsize your meat. Uh, but you want to eat grains and beans, but like not unlimited amounts. You yeah. want to eat mostly vegetables, good fats, nuts and seeds, and stick, stay away from all the starch and sugary stuff. Okay. And and you know the, the the meat issue is a real issue. Uh, I think we have a lot of controversy about it. We've been told to eat less meat. In fact, we did as a society. We ate like 30 or 40 percent less meat, but we ate way more chicken. Yeah. You know, right. which may not be a good thing. Right. And we talk about red meat versus white meat. You know. It's all the same, right? And I think that, that we now know from the studies, looking at all the data, and I, and I, you know, I was writing a book about this, and I, and I was like, look, I want to live to be 120. I don't want to eat meat if it's going to kill me. Like, I'm going to figure this out, right? Because right. I don't want to listen to this one or that one. I want to make my own decisions. Sure. So I went and found all the major studies on meat. Okay. I printed them up, like this stack. I locked myself in a hotel room for a week so I wouldn't get distracted, and I read everything. And then I wrote a chapter uh, on my Eat Beckett Thin book about meat. And I, and I realized there was really three issues. One is moral. If you're a Buddhist, not going to force you to eat meat, right? Mm -hmm. Environmental, which is real. Mm -hmm. And when you look at our agricultural system, environmental impact of growing meat, 70% of our world's agricultural land uh, is used for growing food or for growing animals. Sure. Food for animals or animals. Uh, and a lot of our water supply. Mm -hmm. and, and we're seeing the way we grow food and how we handle animals as a number of things. One, it depletes our soils. And our soil is a natural resource. When it's gone, we're screwed. Mm -hmm. Like We can only put so much fertilizer and pesticides and stuff on, and it's like trying to beat a dead horse. You can't grow food in unhealthy soil. Sure. And we're, we're down to our last inches, right? We used to have like, I don't know, feet and feet of topsoil because mm -hmm. the buffalo roamed the plains and sure. we had all these grasses, but we deplete our water supply. We pollute our water through fertilizer and pesticides and runoff. Um, we create climate change to the effects of how we're growing food. So mm -hmm. climate change, so all these things, pollution, pesticide use, it's bad. So I would not eat factory farm meat, which is what we call capo meat or confined animal feeding operations. And this is most of the meat we eat in America. Mm -hmm. So that's true. Uh, but let's say grass-fed meat. We know that grass-fed meat is different. It has more antioxidants, it has more vitamins and minerals, it has more omega-3 fats. And when you look at all the data, the data that showed meat's harmful is based on what we call population studies or observational studies. Now, in nutrition science, it's really hard to do research. Like I said, you can't like lock people, 10,000 people in a room for 10 years or in a hospital and feed them one diet, like half of the meat and half of the vegetables and see what happens, right? right? You just always go do that study. Right. Um, so we have to kind of look at population studies and look at correlation. Well, some of the studies did find correlations with meat, and what they, when you looked at behind the scenes in the study, it was an era where meat was considered unhealthy, so people who ate meat were not healthy. So the people in the studies who ate meat had, you know, ate more calories, ate 800 more calories a day, were more overweight, exercised less, smoked more, drank more, didn't eat fruits and vegetables, didn't take their vitamins, and the people who were not eating meat were the healthy users. In other words, they were more conscious about their health, so they didn't eat meat. And they exercised more, and ate more fruits and vegetables, and didn't eat processed food, and didn't eat tons of sugar, and didn't smoke. Of course, they had less heart disease. Sure. But when you looked at a study of 11,000 people, they looked at people who eat meat, or veg vegetarian, within a, who shopped at a health food store, guess what? Both of their risks of death and disease went down. Because mm -hmm. they were so eating, the it was the quality of right. the overall diet. Right. Um, so I, I think there are some concerns about effects of meat on the gut flora, and we're still exploring all that, but 
I would say, given the context of a healthy diet and lots of plant foods, I call it, you know, meat, have it condom meat. Like, have it as a condiment, I call it condom meat. This is okay. a side dish. You want to downsize your meat yes. and upsize your vegetables. So most of your plates should be like plant foods, vegetables, 75%. Uh, and I do that. I have like three or four vegetable dishes. I might have a salad. I might have roasted eggplant. I might have steamed broccoli with sauce. And like, I, so I make three or four vegetable dishes and like a small piece of protein. And not every meal, right? Sure, sure. So I think, I think, but I don't think meat is harmful for your health. I don't think based on the data, we have good evidence that that's true. Mm -hmm. I think there's evidence that it actually can help, particularly as you get older with protein, because you need protein synthesis and animal protein has higher levels of an amino acid called leucine, which is super important for building muscle. So as you older, as you get older, you lose muscle. We call this disease sarcopenia. And it's the biggest problem of aging. It's how we get diabetic and how we get weak, how our inflammation goes up and our stress hormones go up and our growth hormone goes down, our testosterone goes down as men. It's all a mess. We get a hormonal aging mess and we, we don't have enough muscle. And protein is critical for building muscle. And so that's why people out there age often need more. Very good. I think beans and grains mm -hmm. uh, are okay, but you know, you have to eat three cups of beans to get the same amount of protein as six ounces of meat. <laughs> so who's gonna eat three cups of beans? That's right. <laughs> so it's it's hard. And I think you know you can supplement the protein with uh, from vegetables with leucine and other things and you can do it, but it's it's more challenging. Okay, great. All right, I gotta start on the questions um, okay. from our viewers, but I do have I one last question that no no no, you're fine. <laughs> um, intermittent fasting. Yes. and ketogenic diet. I wanted They're to talk related. about what they are, yeah. both, explain it to our viewers, and then I know people that actually do both at the same yeah. time, and yeah. how, how yeah. do you think about that? So, you know, what it is, first of all, there's two different things. One is intermittent fasting, which is essentially eating within a time-restricted period. You eat from like noon to eight. Mm -hmm. You don't have breakfast, you, you don't eat late at night, and you eat within a window of eight hours. Right. And what that does, it can be six, eight hours, what that does, it stimulates the effects of fasting. Now we know from the research that calorie restriction is the only thing that extends life. Mm -hmm. So you take animal mice or worms or whatever, you restrict their calories, mm -hmm. they live a third longer. So like for us, that's like if you live 80 years, that's like living to 120. Wow. It's not bad, right? Nope. But nobody wants to starve themselves. Yeah. <laughs> Who's gonna restrict their calories and be miserable? I met a guy once who's like on this program, I said, what do you have for breakfast? I had five pounds of celery. I'm like, <laughs> I would get really tired of eating five pounds of celery for breakfast. So you don't want to do that. Yeah. Uh, so intermittent fasting mimics fasting okay. and mimics calorie restriction. So it turns on all the anti-aging mechanisms in your cells, all the anti-aging genes. So it's super helpful. And it also helps with weight loss. Mm -hmm. So it helps with weight loss, it reverses diabetes, it improves your stem cells, reduces inflammation, increases your antioxidant enzymes. It has so many, it increases your bone mineral density, it has so many benefits. Okay. So that's a, a simple thing to do. Now, ketogenic diet means that you're eating most of your diet as fat. You switch your fuel source from sugar, glucose, mm -hmm. to fat, which turns into ketones in the body, which is basically have a backup fuel system, right? It's like having a diesel and a gas engine, you got both, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So the, the, the ketogenic diet helps you to actually switch from fat, sugar burning to fat burning. Okay. Now, think about it. If you, you have like 2,500 calories of sugar stored in your muscle, you have probably 40,000 calories in your body of fat. So it's a, like a much better fuel to use. Right. It also is great for your brain. And it does a lot of the same things as intermittent fasting. It activates your stem cells. It reduces inflammation. Mm -hmm. It activates your antioxidant enzymes. It helps reduce insulin resistance, can reverse diabetes. There, there are now projects going on where, in fact, we're doing research at Cleveland Clinic using this, mm -hmm. where they're reversing 75% of diabetes, reversing, not managing, using ketogenic diets. Really? People like wow. insulin, on medications, and using our Functioning for Life program, we're using that model to yeah. help people reverse disease. So no sugar and no carbs then? Or is it it's low so carb, it is, is it no carb? It's pretty much, you know, very low. So like, for example, if you have one regular size can of soda that's like, I think it's like 39 grams of carbs. Mm -hmm. um, and we recommend for ketogenics like less than 50. Right? Okay. So it's like not, it's not much sugar, sure, right? Sure. Uh, 50 grams is like, you know, very little. And it's 70% of your diet or 80% has fat, mostly olive oil, avocados, nuts and seeds, good fats. And I think, you know, some protein, but not too much protein. Because right. protein can turn into sugar in the body. So really you want to, you want to eat a diet and this diet, not for everybody. Like I don't recommend ketogenic diets for everybody. They're challenging, they're hard to do. 
but they're powerful therapeutic diets. They've been shown to help with brain cancer, with Alzheimer's, with autism. We know we've treated kids with epilepsy mm -hmm. where all drugs fail. That's the thing we go to when everything else fails to treat epilepsy that can't respond to anything else. Uh, diabetes, mm. massive obesity. We see amazing results. So now, when you say when you're, you talk about epilepsy in kids, um, how young, like, are we talking like a three-year-old or four-year-old are okay with absolutely no carbs, absolutely no sugar, is that safe? Well, here's a little known fact. Yes. Um, we don't need carbs to live. We need protein, amino acids, there's essential amino acids, there's essential fatty acids, which are essential fats. There's no such thing as essential carbs. Okay. So we are perfectly capable of doing great without any carbs. Now, I think personally that carbs should be the majority of your diet. And you're thinking like, Dr. Hyman, have you gone crazy? What are you talking about? What I'm talking about is broccoli is a carb. Asparagus is a carb. Broccoli is a carb? Oh yeah. All plant foods are made of carbs. So whether it's broccoli or asparagus or an apple, that's what we should be eating. Okay. We should be eating He's most of our diet by volume, like by volume, sure. most of our diet should be carbs. But like you can eat 21 cups of broccoli, that's how much uh, calories is in a big gulp. So good luck, 21 cups of broccoli, Yeah. nobody's gonna be able to eat that, right, but right. people can drink a big gulp, right? right? So, so right, that's the problem. So, you know, 21 cups of broccoli, you're never gonna eat that. Yeah. So you can eat all you want. And that's what I do, I fill up, because it's got a lot of fiber. Right. It's got powerful antioxidants. We need all these plant chemicals called phytochemicals that are the colorful rainbow colors in plant foods. That's what we need to actually live and be healthy. Sure, great. Well, I do have some pre-submitted questions that I have here as well as live coming in. And um, if you are just joining us, we are here with Dr. Mark Hyman, Director of Functional Medicine, and we are taking your questions regarding health misconceptions. So type in your uh, questions in the comment section below. Okay, so um, I'm gonna start with um, Kimberly. Um, what about sugar Hi, from <laughs> What about sugar from fruit? Is it better? Yes, fruit is good. Fruit juice is not good, right? So I think if you were to chew on a sugar cane, that's fine. If you're okay. right, I was just in Cuba. I yeah. lots of sugar. Cane. If you eat an apple, that's great. When you extract the juice or the sugar from that, not so great. Okay. What so, about like if we do like a, a lot of people do the fruit smoothies in the morning and they put so much fruit sugar is, in them? Fruit is okay. So if you yeah. put fruit in a blender, yeah. it's different than putting it in a juicer, right? You okay. put fruit in a Vitamix, for example, which is by the way from Cleveland, um, so <laughs> awesome, in Ohio. Right? So, um, you know, I mean, listen, Vitamix, like I, um, like, went through like a dozen blenders yeah. before I got a Vitamix. Yeah. And it's got like a two horsepower engine, which is like a, like a lawnmower. Wow. You know, so you can put it in there. That's awesome. I think that, that uh, you know, if you put a whole apple in, that's okay. Yeah. You, I mean, it, it's a little quicker digested. Okay. Uh, you don't want to put like five apples in. Right. But like you could stick an apple in with some greens and mm -hmm. or a slice of apple, half an apple. Okay. You know, I make a green smoothie. I put cucumber, kale, celery, um, you can put an apple in there, lemon, I put ginger, you put parsley, cilantro, and you put it in the Vitamix and it turns into this great green smoothie. Wow. And you don't have to add sugar. Right, because it's already sweet. Well, the apple helps, yeah. Right, okay, great. Um, we're going on to Rick. Do you have any tips for super boosting immune systems? Do I have tips for super boosting your immune system? Absolutely. Uh, a couple of things are really important. One is sugar is an immune suppressant. So eating a diet that's whole foods, that's low sugar, it's got good fats, all that's super important. Mm -hmm. Vitamin D is super important. You get vitamin D from fatty fish like herring, sardines, uh, sunlight, and um, even mushrooms, like uh, porcini mushrooms have high levels of vitamin D. Right, yeah, a little effect. But you, 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 you really, uh, we found that you know in studies that you can reduce your risk of getting the flu by 75% by having adequate vitamin D levels. Wow. So it's really important, vitamin E, vitamin C can help. Uh, so, you know, exercise is great for immune system, getting out sleep. If you don't sleep enough, your immune system's going to go down. Sure. sure. So, yeah, really great. important. All right. And uh, Heather, what are the bad fats and which common foods contain them? Heather, well, fats, are good, bad, and ugly, right? So the good we all agree on is olive oil, avocados, nuts and seeds. There's no argument there. The maybe the bad people think about still is saturated fat, coconut oil, butter, I don't think we really have a problem there. If it's okay. grass-fed, if it's you know extra virgin, a lot of some of the studies, old studies on coconut were made from like processed coconut, not virgin coconut oil. Um, vegetable oils, 
there really is no vegetable oil by, you know, there's no broccoli oil by, it's nut and seed oils usually, right. like beans, um, soybean oil, which is 10% of our calories. You know, there's a whole group that says we should be eating a lot of these oils, but I, I don't agree. I think you can eat these oils as part of your diet. In other words, if you're eating almonds or walnuts or nuts and seeds, you're getting sesame seeds, all right? You're eating soybeans. You're getting these fats, right? right? right, right. But to, to refine them and extract them, we've only done that in the last thousand years. Yeah. I mean, sorry, hundred years. There's a thousand times more uh, soybean oil in our diet than there was like a hundred years ago, okay. right? And this is an experiment yeah. on yeah. humans, right? Yeah. So I really encourage people to not eat a lot of your refined oils. Have, you know, avocado oil, that's an okay oil. Sure. So, uh, so the good fats that we should be eating are the omega-3 fats this is from, from like walnuts, flax seeds, uh, chia seeds, hemp seeds are the plant sources, although you really want more fish, the fish derived ones, sardines, herring, mackerel, wild salmon, uh, anchovies, all are good sources of low toxin fish that have high omega-3s. Mm -hmm. You can get swordfish and tuna, which also have a lot, but they're also very dangerous because they're full of mercury. Okay. Um, so, uh, and you want, you know, olive oil, extra virgin olive oil, you can use avocado oil, I can use some coconut oil as well, coconut fat. Mm -hmm. um, nuts and seeds are great fats. Uh, bad fats you want to stay away from, I think, are the refined oils. I think you want to stay away from trans fats, hydrogenated fat, the FDA banned these. Um, you know, we've known for 50 years that these were a problem, but mm -hmm. it was only in the last uh, so a few years that the FDA has actually declared them, quote, not safe to eat. They're generally recognized as safe for grass as a category that the Food um, and Drug Administration used to sort of say foods are safe to be in the food supply. Well, they took away that, so it's not safe to eat. And yet it's still out there in the marketplace, so watch for the word hydrogenated or trans fat. If it says hydrogenated, that's a problem. Even if the label says zero trans fat, it can still have half a gram of trans fat Per serving, it's just the way that the regulations are. So I encourage people never to eat that. Okay, great. Crisco, margarine, shortening. Sure. They call it shortening because it shortens your life. Oh my God. I hope not. <laughs> um, we are going to go to Laura. I have a severe nut allergy, and mm -hmm. I know you talk about nuts yeah. being the perfect snack on the mm -hmm. go. What other options do you recommend? Seeds. <laughs> Pumpkin perfect. seeds yeah. um, are great. I okay. like, you know, some parsley seeds are not, not as great. Pumpkin yeah. seeds are great. And I think, you know, you can. Um, you know, use other snacks. Okay. I think you know, but I think there there's a whole list of snacks in my website. Food, uh, food emergency. I, I think you know, nut allergies are a bummer because nuts are great for you, but yeah, 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 they're real. Okay, great. And then um, let's see, Stefan. I'm trying to stay healthy. If I want to stick to a healthy diet, but want to still have a sweet tooth, what are my options? Well, you want to still have a sweet tooth, or you actually want have to it? still have. <laughs> Who a wants tooth? to have a sweet tooth? I mean, it's not a great thing to have a sweet tooth. The thing is, when you eat and change your diet, you're not going to crave sweet as much. So when you eat more fat, it cuts the hunger, it cuts your cravings, you yeah. cut out the starch and sugar. It's a vicious cycle. I mean, now when I go by, uh, you know, a bakery counter with all kinds of donuts and muffins, I, it doesn't even look like food to me, right? Yeah, right. I mean, do I like sugar? Yeah, we all love sugar. Right. So I think if you eat sugar in the context of a healthy diet, if it's sugar that you know how much is there, if you add it to your diet, if you actually make the cookie, you know, if you make the food, I would say that's fine. It's like French fries. If you want to eat French fries, go ahead. But make sure you make them yourself. I you see. cut the potatoes, you fry them. You're not going to do it very often. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Uh, so I think it's really about um, understanding the, the source of added sugar and staying away from that. And I remember uh, the last time I was one of your events and I asked you, I said, I, I like to drink coffee yeah. and I like it sweet. Yeah. And I asked you, what can I do to add onto it? And you said, nothing. nothing. Yeah. Yeah. No. So I started drinking black coffee. There you go. <laughs> there you go. There you go. There you go. <laughs> so um, Lisa. She asked, what are the, your top three foods, recommendations? God, Lisa, that's a hard question. That is a good one. I think if I come up with top three foods, it would be like omega-3 fat-containing foods. My, one of my top foods is sardines. Really? No, it's not a popular food. I like sardines. But sardines are full of omega-3 fats. They're a great source of protein. They have calcium to eat them with the bones, and they also have choline and other nutrients, vitamin D even, that are powerful. Okay. Um, Two more. As far as uh, vegetables, mm -hmm. I think I think a staple should be the broccoli family. That's okay. broccoli, collards, kale, cauliflower, kohlrabi, Brussels sprouts, uh, arugula, watercress. All the family has powerful uh, levels of anti-cancer chemicals called uh, glucosinolates, sulforaphane. They have levels of magnesium, folate, B vitamins. They're a superfood. I mean, I just read a, I just read a, uh, an article that people have more. Cruciferous vegetables have less risk of side effects from, for example, breast cancer. Mm -hmm. So 
and we know it reduces cancer, heart disease, and so many things. So I really encourage people to actually use a lot of that. I okay. really have a cup or two a day. Broccolini is all sorts of recipes. Yeah. Uh, the third one, um, you know, I would say I think nuts are pretty pretty high on the list. Yeah. You know, yeah. almonds, walnuts, uh, nuts and seeds, flax seeds, okay. pumpkin seeds. Uh, making those a staple, we know that's linked to lower risk of heart disease, diabetes, obesity. It's full of minerals that we don't get often, magnesium, zinc, uh, selenium, iron, curcumin, a lot of nuts. Great. And uh, Leah, thoughts on high fructose corn syrup in most foods and condiments? My thoughts? Yeah, your thoughts. Um, you really don't know what I really, you want to know what I really <laughs> I mean, I, I, I wrote a blog once called Five Reasons High Fructose Corn Syrup Will Kill You. Mm. So okay. uh, I, there's no room What's for your answer, it. Right? Uh, one, because it's sweeter than regular sugar. Yeah. Two, it has free fructose, which may be a problem and actually cause leaky gut, inflammation, liver issues. It might have more fructose than sugar, so it might have anywhere from 55 to 75% or more of the sugar in there as fructose, which alone is not uh, very well dealt with by the body. It's really fine if it's in fruit, but not when it's free. Okay. And, and there's a process of, of getting the mercury, I mean, of getting the sugar out of the corn and that actually uh, uses mercury off it. So you get mercury wow. in it. Wow. Not to mention, it's just in everything. Right. So if you want to eliminate all the bad stuff from your diet, if you just do two things, you're going to make a huge step forward. One is don't eat ever eat anything with high fructose corn syrup and don't, or drink it. And don't eat anything with trans or hydrogenated in fat. If you do that, you're going to eliminate most processed food from your diet. Okay, great. Uh, questions are really coming in. Hannah, uh, during the holidays, I make all of my family's desserts. How do you make desserts sweet without too much sugar? You can use dates. You can use fruit puree. Um, mm -hmm. You can put a drop of stevia in, which I'm okay with. Yeah. To make it a little sweeter. Um, and uh, you can uh, just make things less sweet. Yeah. People still just like get them. used to not yeah. eating Yeah, I think, you know, we're sort of addicted to it. I mean, yes. the truth is that, that, you know, flour and sugar are addictive, particularly mm -hmm. sugar. And it affects the same pathways in the brain as cocaine or heroin. Um, animals will work eight times harder to get sugar than cocaine. Even if they're already addicted to cocaine, they'll switch over and eat the sugar. And they can give themselves IV cocaine by hitting a lever. They'll always switch to the sugar. Oh my goodness. Even artificial sweeteners. That slows your metabolism. So it's not, it's not great. And I think, I think people need to sort of, you know, understand that it is powerfully addictive and that, um, you know, you treat it with respect. I mean, sure. I like tequila, but I don't have tequila for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Sure. Right but on. you have tequila, that's good. I do, okay. but it's like I have like a shot of tequila or yeah. two shots maybe, but I don't have like a bottle. Right, So right. it's like, and I think, you know, most people don't realize how dangerous sugar is. So right. and the sweet tooth really comes from the addictive properties of it. And when you right. cut down or you cut out, that's why I sort of encourage people to do a detox, just like 10 days. So during the holidays, you know, do your best. And then, you know, January come along, just reset your system. Yeah. Okay, and then I have uh, Percy. Do you go out to eat often, and uh, what do you recommend ordering? I guess it depends on where you're going. Do you go out to eat often? Oh, I think, do I eat often? Yeah, do I eat, eat often. Ever? I eat often <laughs> every day. Do you go out day. to eat, and then where, yeah. like, what is it? I would say 50% of the time I'm on the road, I travel, I eat out. It's tough. Yeah. Um, but, you know, what I encourage people to do is to learn how to navigate their world, right? So, based on your lifestyle. Mm -hmm. like, and so most of the time, you know, like my world is circumscribed. I work in the clinic, clinic and I work here, I'm on the road, I know where I'm traveling. Uh, in my home, I know like the neighborhood of food availability. So I, you have to know how to hunt and gather yeah. in your environment. So I know, for example, clinic, clinic, there's a wellness store. I can go get bars, I can get a green juice. I know like where to go. So I make sure that I'm like very good at navigating. When I look at menu, I pick the restaurant. Like I don't go to Arby's or McDonald's, right? right. I'll find a restaurant which serves protein and vegetables. I'll ask for two or three sides of vegetables. I'll have a salad with some protein. And I had some lamb last night. I, I told them to skip the couscous, which is a grain, which is a huge pile they give you. I said, just put it on asparagus, plus give me the extra vegetables of, you know, the carrots and other stuff that come with it. So basically I just, I just navigate by being a little picky or by picking the restaurant and by being smart about what I'm choosing. I don't and, eat the bread when the bread basket yeah. comes, I come out to bring it. Right. If, you, if I'm hungry and they bring it, guess what? I'm like everybody else, I'll eat. Yeah. But you know, you really don't want to do that. You don't want it in your plate. Yeah. And, and just like you said earlier, prepping ahead of time. So yeah. looking up the menu, everything like that. Absolutely, like when I, when I, when I, yeah, exactly. Like when I go out with friends, I'm like, I pick the restaurant. <laughs> you know? Like sometimes I can't, but like. I'm sure they're thankful for that. Yeah. 
Okay, and then um, Joanne, true or false, all disease begins in the gut. Uh, I would say false. If you get false. hit by a truck, you know, it doesn't begin yet. But most of the most of the issues are true. We have okay. affect the gut. We now know the microbiome is this whole new field of research. But in functional medicine, we've been dealing with it forever, and we have a whole functioning for life program mm -hmm. on how to fix the gut, which is a, a ten week program that, that people do together in a group. They learn how to do it. I encourage you to check it out. Functioning for life at Cleveland Clinic is a powerful group model that uses functional medicine to help people get healthy, and we focus really on the gut. And, and the reason is that, you know, we, we now know this area is, is huge. The microbiome is, is, is now the latest sort of advancing trend in medicine, which has identified that your gut flora play a role in everything from obesity to diabetes to heart disease to cancer. And they're actually studying that here at Cleveland Clinic. Kara Sang is looking at the role of the gut microbiome. And breast cancer, for example, we look at Steve Hazen doing his work on the gut microbiome and heart disease. Uh, and we are understanding it's affecting autism, it's affecting autoimmune disease and allergies, and obviously gut issues. So um, we really focus on that. And it's really important to get your gut healthy. So mm -hmm. most people don't know how to do that. It's often by limiting the things that are fertilizing the bad bugs in there, which is sugar and starch, the same story. Right. It's not like you need one diet to fix your gut, another diet to fix diabetes, another diet to fix heart disease, another diet to fix cancer, Alzheimer's, it's all the same, right? So right. we need the right food for humans, right. and it takes care of everything. So I really encourage people to understand if they're having gut issues, or if they're having these inflammatory diseases, to really get some help with a functional medicine doctor, and I encourage you to check out our Functioning for Life program. And, and well, life. Misty has a follow-up question uh, about that. What are your preferred functional medicine tests? Do you have any? Um, you know, uh, a good question. I mean, my preferred functional medicine test is just to listen to somebody's story. Because mm -hmm. within their story, you can pick up most of the issues and figure okay. it out. Looking at their history, their exam. Uh, lab tests can be helpful, and we use a lot of lab tests in functional medicine, but we really, you know, look at the gut, we look at your nutritional status. I think, you know, if I had a couple of tests that I would rely on, that are three things that I would, it would be hard to sort of pick without actually checking. Mm -hmm. you know, one is com common reactions to gluten. A lot of people have antibodies and reactions. Okay. That would be one. The other is heavy metals, which is very controversial, but I think a lot of us have heavy metals, mercury, lead, and so forth. Mm -hmm. And the third would be um, looking at people's sort of vitamin D levels and nutritional status, because often we're very low in vitamin D. So those are things, you can actually even guess, you can put me on a gluten-free diet, the things that you know you, you can test for are heavy metals, and there's gut issues, I would look for that. So. Depending on what the issues of the person, I would adjust my testing. Okay, and going back to the microbiome uh, comments, apple cider vinegar seems to be a hot thing lately. Um, you know, taking a tablespoon, putting yeah. in your food, yeah. losing weight, or yeah. what, is, is there enough research? Is there there's not a ton of research on it. Yeah. You know, I think there's issues about like how it might help alkalize the body and do different things. So uh, people like it and use it. I'm super supportive, but I, yeah. um, you know, it's not my first line of attack on disease. Okay, cool. And um, let's see. Have some. Olga, uh, what are the worst foods for menopause symptoms, especially hot flashes? The worst foods? Worst foods for menopause. Okay, and well, menopause uh, symptoms, by the way, like in Japan, I don't think they have a word for menopause or hot flashes, I mean. Um, they don't work for hot flashes. So women, as they go through menopause, may get hot flashes, mood swings, cognitive impairment, brain fog. Uh, they might get um, dry skin, vaginal dryness. They might get um, you know joint pain, fatigue. All these are real. And I don't think any women needs to suffer from them. But the typical woman, if they are living a lifestyle that is fostering health, in other words, they're getting out of sleep, they're dealing with stress well, if they're exercising, if they're not smoking, if they're not drinking too much alcohol, if they're not having too much caffeine, if they're eating a whole foods diet, mm -hmm. typically the menopausal symptoms are very minimal, if any. Mm -hmm. And I think you know that is very powerful. So I think the worst foods are sugar, are processed food, often alcohol. Um, really would be the worst foods. Okay, great. And then um, Alice, I have diabetes. My doctor says, just lose weight and my diabetes will get better. Is that all I have to do? Uh, yes and no. Okay. You have to lose weight, but you have to lose it doing the right thing. Right. Right? People like go on the Twinkie diet or, <laughs> or like, you know, that is not going to help. Diet, yeah. um, you really need to shift your biology and you can lose weight by restricting your calories. Mm -hmm. That will help. And then they found that diabetes actually can be reversed with calorie restriction, but nobody wants to eat 700 calories a day for the rest of your life. Right. It's miserable, right. right? But if you switch to a ketogenic diet, you switch to a very low starch and sugar diet and a higher fat diet, 
it can often just do the trick and help you with the weight loss, deal with the cause of it, help you reverse faster. the problem. Absolutely. Perfect. And then, um, Donald, should I take daily fiber supplements or are there changes I should be making to my diet? Well, yes. I mean, you're, you know, we as a species consumed 100 grams of fiber a day as hunter-gatherers. We ate like 800 species of plants, roots, seeds, like berries, seeds, like all kinds of stuff, right? And now we have about eight to 15 grams of fiber because we eat a very low fiber diet. Mm -hmm. So if you eat nuts and seeds, if you eat some whole grains, if you eat beans, if you eat lots of veggies, you're gonna get plenty, plenty of fiber. So I really encourage you to eat the foods that have the high fiber. But sometimes I actually have people supplement, I have flax seeds, so ground flax seeds is a food, you can add it to your food. Uh, you can use polyglycoplex, which is a powerful uh, fiber that absorbs a lot of, of, of um, uh, water mm -hmm. called cognac root, which is from Japan. It's actually used in cooking there. They make noodles out of it. You can actually get shirataki noodles, uh, which uh, actually tastes awesome. And just like pasta, you can make them like pasta. They have zero calories. <laughs> they have tons of fiber. They found a reverse, you know, blood sugar issues and cholesterol issues. And it's like a pasta, but you don't even know you're eating pasta. Wow. And it's shirataki and it has to be made from cognac, not like the drink, but it's K-O-N-J-A-C. And it's a powerful fiber that I use a lot in my practice. Uh, sometimes you can, you know, use other fibers. Acacia fiber is from a acacia plant. Very good for the microbiome. Mm -hmm. uh, certain plant foods like plantain, which is you know a, more of a Latin American uh, vegetable, um, can be very, very high in, in resistant starch. Uh, so you want to eat those. Okay, great. Um, we have a few more minutes. So I'm going to go through these two questions Three here. More I have. Minutes. Yeah, I know. I'm almost done. done. It's so fun. <laughs> I heard that Hashimoto's disease is autoimmune. What is it? How do I know I have it? And can diet help? What other conditions are helped for autoimmune? Well, there's two questions here. Yeah, one is thyroid and one is autoimmune. Autoimmune in general yeah. is a really common problem. It's probably more common than heart disease, cancer, or diabetes combined because it affects so many people. Uh, but we think of them as individual diseases. You have MS, you have Hashimoto's thyroid issues, you have rheumatoid arthritis, you have colitis. So we sort of separate them all out. Yeah. But as a group, they're one of the most prevalent conditions we have. And they are huge cost centers in healthcare because it costs so much of these drugs to treat them and they create a huge amount of suffering. And the good news is that we know how often to treat these using lifestyle approaches. Because um, a lot of the causes we can deal with, whether it's diet, gluten is a big one, always it's number one, two, and three on my list if someone has an autoimmune disease, heavy metals, uh, infections, tick infections, gut issues, all can lead to autoimmune disease. So uh, I was reading the other day, for example, they found that the bacteria, toxic bacteria from the gut, found in the joints of people with rheumatoid arthritis. So the gut is really a huge factor. Yeah. We have to deal with all those causes. And we, we do that. We also have an autoimmune program for Functioning for Life uh, as well. So we do a lot of these Functioning for Life groups where people can get in Cleveland Clinic and people can wait on a long, long waiting list, which right. we have like a few thousand people on our waiting list. They can jump the line, right. they can get in, they get support from people and our friends. We work with doctors, nutritionists, health coaches, behavioral therapists in these groups, and it's really a profound benefit. We find that people actually even do better than the one-on-one -on -one visits. So the autoimmune disease in Hashimoto's, I think we have to understand that, that you know this is one of the autoimmune diseases. It's often caused by gluten, which can cause autoimmune disease of the thyroid. It can be caused by environmental toxins like pesticides, which are really prevalent. All of us are sort of cesspools. If we were food, we wouldn't be safe to eat. And so I, I really think you know it, it can be affected by diet. It's hard to reverse it, uh, but you can definitely improve your overall health. You can improve your antibodies and you can really get healthy. And there's a number of great books on this, but thyroid is a really important issue. Great, and then I have one more before I let you go. So, um, Monica, all my friends are avoiding gluten. Should I? Haha, -ha. <laughs> great question. So, um, you know, gluten-free is the latest health fad, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody's gluten-free. Most people don't even know what gluten is, and they're gluten-free, which is kind of funny. <laughs> like, I don't know what it is, but right. I'm not eating it because right. my friends aren't and it seems like it's a good thing. But the truth is, most gluten-free foods are pretty bad for you, right? Gluten-free cake and cookies, processed food, you know, an avocado is gluten-free, an egg is gluten-free, an almond is gluten-free, those are all fine, yeah. okay? But the gluten-free processed foods, not a great idea. Uh, I think gluten as a whole is probably not the best food we should be eating because it's containing flour products which make us have high blood sugar, it can be inflammatory, crave stuff. So I'm not a big fan of gluten. Yeah. I don't think everybody should be off it 100%, but I think if, if you have reactions or any chronic illness, 
I think it's it's a good thing to try to get off it. Okay, great. Well, I mean, I can talk to you for like two more hours, okay. but unfortunately, we're out of time. Um, so, but that for more, fun, right? <laughs> that was fun. That <laughs> for more information about functional medicine at Cleveland Clinic or to sign up for Functioning for Life, make sure you visit ccf.org/slash/functioningforlife. And thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, having and, you and come see us because you're gonna get like 20 hours of this instead yeah. of just like one yeah. when you join the group. So I encourage <laughs> everybody to go check out ccf.org. Functioning for life, slash functioning for life, and uh, and check us check us out because it's it's really a profound change in healthcare. We're using food as medicine, and everybody needs to have access to it. And I think that's really why why we're here. Yes, exactly. Thank you so much for joining us. I'll see you next time. This concludes this Cleveland Clinic Health Essentials podcast. Thank you for listening. Join us again soon.